ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Back at home and welcome to another episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's one of the few wrestling podcasts that's done by a fan that's actually still a fan. I just like wrestling and I like talking about it. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. We are back home. Last week, we were live to tape from the maternity ward. Uh, Now, everybody's back home. Everybody's safe. And all it really means for you, because we talk about wrestling, and and it's not going to change the WWE or the TNA or the Ring of Honor product on how many offspring that I have, but it does mean that now there's potential for even more noise in the background, not just the sirens, Not just the traffic that goes by. Not just Lila squeaking her toys or barking at the door. No. Now there's also an infant that could be crying at any moment. And you know how we do this thing. Live to tape. No edits. No listening back. It is what it is. So enjoy it. It's part of the atmosphere. Uh, Speaking of atmosphere, the atmosphere surrounding the world of pro wrestling is big. A lot of news to talk about this week. It's going to be a busy state of wrestling. And I, I get excited. You know, I, I as much as I'm a I'm a WWE baby, I'll always be a WWE fan. Like, WWE is my, is my bread and butter, as it were. But I like when there's a wrestling story coming from the outside, from outside of the WWE that's big enough that we really need to, to sink our teeth into it on state of wrestling. I, only because I think that it, it means that the world of wrestling as a whole is only becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what you want as a fan. You just want this world to become bigger. You know, to me, in any business, competition is what brings out the best in people. And I think a guy like Vince McMahon, people who are successful, entrepreneurs, business owners, people who devote their lives to this stuff, not corporations. I'm talking about the individuals who just devote their lives to putting on this product tend to do the best when they're competing for something because it's just in your DNA. If, if, if there's something in you that fuels you to devote your life to this business, then fighting for it is what's really going to get you passionate to succeed. And sometimes when the competition is not directly in front of you, it becomes a little more difficult to put your best foot forward. I think that one of the reasons why WWE is in a really cool spot right now is because they're looking at smaller groups and uh, segments of the wrestling world on a worldwide basis as maybe competition to sections of their business. I don't think there's anything in the wrestling world that is even close to competition to the WWE as a company. But, you know, you could maybe call Ring of Honor competition to NXT. They create the the United Kingdom champion, so obviously the WWE is going to want to be the place that has the best British wrestling now. After the UK tournament, I, I think that they they want that. And without people like... Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay and Marty Scarl. It becomes difficult to make that claim, but it is something to fight toward. You know, starting with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate and guys like that, that's a that's an amazing thing. But it gives you something to look toward. I think something like PWG 
you could argue, is competition for 205 Live. And they want 205 Live to be the best spot for cruiserweights. Not that everybody at PWG is cruiserweights, but it's just, to, I don't know, there's just, to me, I, I, I relate those two. So I think that, the, and, and that may, might be more Triple H than Vince McMahon. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just know as a fan. I know as an observer who watches the television show a lot uh, that it seems like, and that stuff prospers, right? Those little parts of the company prosper because there's something to prove. That UK tournament was one of the best wrestling weekends that they've put on so far this year. And I think that was because they needed to prove themselves in that genre. The WWE needed to prove that they can do the best in British wrestling, which is up in the air. British wrestling is such a, a small sect and there's so many groups that specialize in it. There's progress and there's WCW, PWW, what culture? I don't know. I love what culture. What culture? WCPW. That's what it is. You know, there's there's organizations that specialize in British wrestling and have been for a long time. Evolve was a big thing here in the States, and they decided to partner with them because they thought that would give them a leg up, and I think it, it has, and it helps. it has helped with NXT, and it helped a lot with 205 Live and the Cruiserweight division. So I think that there are still guys out there and bringing in uh, stars like Nakamura and bringing in the Machine Gun and Luke Gallows and, and bringing in a Finn Balor and bringing in a Kevin Owens and bringing in people that maybe they wouldn't normally see just so it becomes clear that there are... Other things outside of WWE and all those things can add to WWE and thus become competition in small increments. In the in the early uh, in the mid and late nineties, there was real competition. WCW as a company was competition to WWE or WWF at the time, and they were fighting for their life as a company. And I think that brought out the best in them because they needed to put the best all overall product the best overall product had to come forward because they had to prove themselves as the premier organization for sports entertainment now sports entertainment pro wrestling is synonymous especially in america with wwe but it wasn't just wcw that was competing with wwe and i think you guys are going to figure out where i'm going with this ECW, even though they had a business relationship with WWE, and, and you know that's been well documented since uh, the ECW uh, went under over 10, 15 years ago, uh, ECW was never competition in terms of putting WWE out of business. But what they were competition of, and this is kind of where you get into more niche stuff like we're talking about with uh, the Ring of Honors and the PWGs and the, and the, those things. ECW owned cool. ECW owned the cool factor in the world of professional wrestling during its time. And ECW owned creativity in the world of professional wrestling at its time. And they owned... Uh, uh, thinking outside the box. They're the ones who brought over Lucha and brought over Japanese deathmatch style. And they pushed it too far 
for a mainstream product. You know, there's no way a mainstream. That's why it took them so long to get on pay-per-view. There's no way a mainstream, national, international product could do what ECW was doing. But what they did was they set up a blueprint, pushed the envelope too far, and allowed the Vince McMahons of the world to come in, take what they were doing, pull it back, add the WWE machine to it, and make that a part of WWE. And I think that the Attitude Era had a lot to do with that. But ECW was all about the individual performers. And one of the most important performers in ECW was Taz. Taz, who now does a show called The Taz Show on tazshow.com for CBS Radio. It's streaming media. It's not internet radio or a podcast. He will tell you that firsthand. But Taz... For me, I mean, growing up as a fan, a huge ECW fan, kind of redefined things. Taz wasn't six feet tall. He wasn't 300 pounds. You know, he's a small guy, but he's this powerful guy. And he introduced to a lot of people this new style of combat where it was about uh, the submission holes and the chokeouts and, and, and how... A person could use strength, leverage, and a person and an opponent's own body as a tool against them. It, it was an example of how a person could dominate without just coming to the ring and Hulk smash. Not Hulk Hogan, the Incredible Hulk, but not having to be the biggest guy on the playground and still be a credible threat against anybody in the locker room. Taz. Uh, was one of the most intriguing performers in ECW. I mean, the rivalries he had with Sabu, and then with Bam Bam Bigelow, the television title run, the world title run. He was one of the early guys to leave ECW and to leave people thinking, oh boy, where does this go? Taz was ECW world champion when he announced, or when it was made clear that he was going to WWE. And I'll never forget, uh, it was a a, a pay-per-view when Taz was the champion, and it was made clear that this was his last night in ECW. And ECW used to run their triple threat matches elimination style. It was Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka versus Taz. Taz was eliminated from the match within minutes. I mean, quickly. And it became clear that was it. He's out, and he was beaten soundly and quickly. And it was a shock to the system because Taz didn't get beat too often. He went to WWE. He beat Kurt Angle. For the, he was the first person to beat Kurt Angle, and that was Taz's uh, first match. I, you know, I think as history went on, Kurt Angle would claim it was a chokehold and it shouldn't be counted against him and blah, blah, blah. But that was Kurt Angle's first real defeat in WWE. Um, and then Taz kind of uh, uh, left the human suplex machine submission style of wrestling and started doing some new stuff um, and before too long ventured over to commentary where he, I think, found a brand new niche for himself and a, a whole new career for himself. He doesn't do a lot of wrestling podcasts. He doesn't do a lot of wrestling anything. But he agreed to come on. He did my morning show on Sirius XM. Then I asked him to stick around for a while uh, and do the wrestling podcast and just sit down with him and, and talk wrestling. And there's so much to talk about with Taz. Um, but I, and I'll, I'll hopefully we'll have him back at some point to cover even more. Uh, but I got to talk to him. I got to talk to him about a, a lot 
of stuff that went down in his career. Uh, and I was so happy that he agreed to do the show. So without further ado, why don't we welcome this week's guest on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, it is Beat Me If You Can, Survive If I Let You, the man who really, as far as personalized championships, not actual championship title belts, but championships, meaning Zack Ryder had the internet championship. It's his own championship. The FTW championship, and that doesn't stand for for the win, was probably only second to the million dollar championship. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Taz. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Look who's finally here. <laughs> Taz, what's the haps? Not the man. Um, appreciate you having me on. Well, Big I appreciate Sam. you being here. You don't do a lot of. Uh, I don't. You don't do a lot of wrestling podcasts. I do not. I, you don't do a lot of wrestling podcasts. You don't do a lot of uh, indie shows. You don't do a lot of signings. Nothing. No. Why? I um. Great question. Um, I've been Just asked it a few times though. No, but really, all kidding aside, like I, uh, it's gonna sound. I just, I don't know. I, I try to keep myself um, always, my whole career, kind of like, if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. It's no disrespect on fans. I believe in that uh, some things get oversaturated, and I don't want to be part of that oversaturation. Right. That's number one. It kind of, I think, for your branding, you got to keep yourself uh, exclusive in mm-hmm. the, to a degree, and also from a um, from a podcast perspective or being a guest on people's shows, you know. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but I do a plethora of programming. So I'm on the air 10 hours a week. Right. So it's like, uh, I don't, I don't want to go and talk to people more about wrestling when I could just cover it in my show. So why am I here? <laughs> that's, a good, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I had to figure out some way to finagle you into no, the No, I'm, I'm here because you're a good dude, and I always liked you. You always got along. You know you a long time. I respect you, and you do good shit. You've been on my show. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's cool that we could do stuff together. It was fun doing your show, and it's always interesting because, like, uh, a lot of times, that's the thing about your show is that it's, to me, it's much more of a radio show. It's formatted like a radio show yep. more so than a podcast. Because a lot of times, like if I'll do other shows yeah. or whatever, it's like a big time commitment. Like sure. they're like, yeah, just call into the show and you're on for like two hours. No. You're like, I, but like with you, it's like, no, you can stay up right after the pay per view. Yep. Twenty minutes. Give me your opinion. And in then and on to the next thing. On That's to the it. next thing. I got to keep it moving. Uh, it's it is definitely to your point structured. Uh, you being a radio guy, you get it. It's structured as a radio show because uh, it's handled as that because that's what it really is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, sometimes I'll have a guest on two segments once in a while, but we got to take breaks. Um, and what happens, dude, is like when the show drops as audio on demand or a podcast, you know, we really don't edit anything out of it. So there's really not. Tomorrow, Stan. All right, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Jim. Jimmy Norton. <laughs> bum. Who do you ever beat? No, but uh, so it's like, you know, we, 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 um, we drop it as is. So it's basically when I sh- when I'm t- shooting and taping audio and video, it's live to tape. Right. So there's no editing, as you Isn't know. Isn't that the best? It the is live. Like it is. It's just like people say. Absolutely. They go back and listen to their. I don't even listen to the stuff after it's done. No, I don't either. I don't either. And and, and just one point I want to make about podcasting and like your, your stuff you do and some other guys do. It's evergreen content. Yes. Okay, my show is not evergreen. Okay, yeah. My show is a topic-based show. It's not a guest-driven show. And that's another reason why it's not a podcast. And it's live with cameras and this and that, and it streams live. So, but people, I, I do have to be frank, more people listen to my podcast than listen live. 
but I don't have good shelf life on my shows, but we know that. We know that going in. That's kind of, CBS was cool about it, and they knew that. And that's know? why you do it every day anyway. Correct. There's new, new, then, Correct. you know, if this doesn't have shelf life, but they're watching the new one and the new Correct. one and the new one. exactly. So, yeah. but you've put yourself in a position now where you have to watch <laughs> wrestling all the time. That's the tough part. Yeah, like you have to watch all of WWE's programming. All everything. You have to kind of at least know what's going on in TNA. I do. Yes, I do. Do That's you watch correct. Impact? I watch some of it. Uh, now, as th- whenever this drops, uh, Hardys will be gone. I would assume. Yeah, I can't believe. I know. I know. We that- talked about that on my show recently a lot, and uh, yeah, it's heavy. Um, my point of mentioning Hardys is to be frank. That was one of the main only reasons why I would. I love the broken gimmick. Uh, I love the whole thing. So right. I would watch TNA only when they were doing big stuff with them. But otherwise, I really wasn't. Only because my audience mostly wants to hear about uh, WWE stuff, my particular audience. And I do cover, um, you know, sometimes Ring of Honor. And I do stuff with independent wrestling a little bit here and there. I have a segment um, where every Monday I have, uh, out of three different female wrestlers, independent wrestlers, they come on the show. We do something called In the Indies. Okay, where we have, uh, you know, like Veda Scott, I'm sure you're familiar yeah, sure, with Veda, sure, and Deanna Perrazzo, yeah, like and, and also Taylor Hendricks. So yeah. they, they come, we do a rotating schedule. We kind of missed the past several weeks once the New Year started, but we'll get back on track. Point is, these girls come on and kind of update us on, on what's going on in the Indies. I right. give them that platform. Plus, then you don't have to know everything that's going on in the Indies. Correct. Too much information Correct. for you. Correct. And, and so people can hear from somebody else within the Taz show. Yeah. So I have like Mike Johnson from PW Insider. He comes on a show every week and gives like a kind of a scoops report or like a. I'm not a reporter. You know, I, that's why I don't, I don't consider myself part of media of the industry where yourself would be because I've been in the game. You know, I was as a former champion and yeah. a broadcaster, you know. Well, I mean, you watch an NFL pregame show. I always think of it that way, like com- what I do compared to what you do or Austin or Jericho. or right. Like, there's a big difference. People listen to, if you're watching an, an NFL, like you listen to Joe Buck and get something different than from Troy Aikman. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Joe Absolutely. Buck has this analysis, but Troy Aikman has this experience that is just not replaceable. His opinion That's right. means more because he's Be- done it. Being in the pit. When you're in the huddle, you've been in the pit. Yeah. Now, it, not necessarily does it mean more. And I, I understand why you're saying it's it, and I appreciate informed. it. It's more formed from experience. Yes. But you do need the Joe Bucks of the world, the Sam Roberts of the world, that are going to give you a perspective. Oh, I think so. From a strong fan perspective. Yeah. Oh, you agree with that part? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> oh, need yeah. Sam Roberts. Oh, we really yeah. need Sam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that fan perspective is key. <laughs> key. I'm just saying the wrestler perspective is important. It's important, too. Two. Yeah, it's yeah, just I two. Guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sort <laughs> That's of. That's funny. Um, <laughs> what was your, because you were talking on, uh, the Siri, on our morning show on Sirius today about how right now you're as happy as you've ever been yeah but being a wrestler when were you happiest was it when you were the number one guy in ecw was it when you show up in wwe because it's such a bigger stage was it before that like when 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 is your happiest time (sighs) as an active sports entertainer i I would say uh, i was probably most happy in ecw even though it was the toughest time for me because I really put a lot of pressure on myself during that time, and I was getting a, a really strong push. And it took me a lot of years to get that push. And once I got that push, meaning before ECW, it took a lot of years. And once I got it, I didn't want to lose it. And I got very, um, uh, at times, immature because I didn't have to handle the push. And I kind of pushed everyone out of my world in that locker room. 
for the most part and had a couple of guys that I confided in and I was friends with everybody else. I was at times a little bit of a douche. And some people have said that about me. And I've one of the first things I did when I got my show with CBS, and I got actually was before my show was the podcast with CBS, the human podcast machine. One I kind of apologized to 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 the to just the whole locker room of ECW just as a whole. Like I was a little immature because I put a lot of pressure on myself. So as much as it was a great time in my career, yeah. probably the best as a wrestler. It was stressful. So how do you go, if you don't get along with guys, how do you go and wrestle with them? Especially in someplace like ECW, where it's way, it was way more physical yeah. than than typical you know, TV wrestling. It's business, bro. Yeah? You know, it's business. It's just, you got to be professional. Um, I've seen guys, in, especially in ECW, get into fist fights. And go and and go out there and then wrestle each other and protect each other and it's it's the code of the business. Yeah, it's the code of the boys. Um, you know, I've I've had problems with guys too, and then we go out there and do business. You know what I mean? I mean, really, we have. I mean, so it's just that's part of the game. You can't break that code. You know. Why do you isolate yourself when that's happening? Like, how does that protect your push? Is it because you don't want anybody knowing anything about you? Is it be you just don't trust no, anybody? it was a trust thing. It was my fault. It was a trust thing. I'm with, dude, we're going back 95, sure, 96. Sure, you know, yeah. I was uh, it was a lot younger. Uh, yeah, you know, it was. I was more in a. I was in a. I was nervous that I I'm on top of the mountain and I know people are trying to pull me down in a competitive way, not in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And I don't want no one to pull me down. Because they want your spot. Yeah. Because they don't want you correct, to have it because correct. they want to have and it. And that's how it should be. That's that's why we had a very competitive locker room. Everybody thinks CCW was like, you know, rainbows and butterflies. It was a great place, don't get me wrong, but it was an ultra, ultra competitive locker room. Mm -hmm. You know, and you got to say something too. A lot of the guys, they like to have a good time. It was, it was wild. It was a frat, you know, feel. Uh, but I kind of was, I kind of stayed to myself and there was no knock on anybody that I lived my life and I wasn't, so maybe some of them didn't trust me because I wasn't <clears throat> doing some of the things maybe some of the guys were doing and I don't, I, I don't begrudge anyone for what they do and, and don't begrudge me for what I do. Right. You know, I kind of lived my life. I kind of stayed private and I didn't want to, you know, I just didn't want to, so, you know, how did they, how did they have that? How was the ECW locker room that competitive? Was it just, that's what Paulie brings to the table because it's not like you guys had million dollar paydays. Right, it's not right. like there was, you know, you had pay per view. You didn't have WrestleMania. Right. You didn't have stadium shows. Like there wasn't this thing that you were fighting for. Where it's like, if I'm the top guy, I am a megastar and never have to work again. You, you want to be on top. Sometimes it has nothing to do with the money. Yeah. And if you're not making seven figures and you're making six or whatever, whatever the figure is, it's about being competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, so if, I, if I'm going out there, I'm trying to outperform Sabu. I'm trying to outperform Van Dam. Raven's trying to outperform me. Sam is trying to outperform, you know, uh, Raven. Uh, uh, Tommy Dream is trying to outperform, you know, uh, uh, the Eliminators. The Dudleys are trying, you know, it, it's just, it builds that. That's what you want. That's how, you know, and Paul didn't say, go out there and compete. He didn't do that. Right. He let us just go out. We were animals. And a lot of the, the main acts from there were very, very, very competitive. More than people, I think, talk about. When did it start occurring to and you? And there was no cutthroat shit, by the way. What do you mean? Meaning that it wasn't like we were so competitive we were trying to stab each other in the back. I, right. I can't say that about anyone. I don't know if anyone ever trying to stab me in the back in ECW, not one wrestler. And I know I've never stabbed anyone in the back. I mean, maybe some guys could tell you something different, but I, I that's not me. Uh, I, I think it was all fair uh, war games. But just a locker room full of guys tr fighting to have the best match of the night. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what. Try and go follow a friggin' Van Damme match, okay? Right. 
it wasn't easy, <laughs> you know, and and I had to do that sometimes, or or be ahead of him, or or wrestle him. You know, I'm just saying, like, just using Rob as an example. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's like <clears throat> there was so many guys, so many of us like that. I mean, not many guys had his athletic ability, mm -hmm. but there was so many of us that had our own powers out there amongst the audience. No matter if it was a guy cutting an amazing promo or a Sandman with this crazy, awesome entrance that his entrance was so powerful, it was like, what do you do next? Or the mystique of Raven and how he just, just who he was and the character or Sabu, who was just ahead of his time from a physical standpoint, with doing crazy stuff out there. You yeah. know what I mean? There was just, you, were, you were pretty ahead of your time with the whole I MMA so. deal. Yeah, I like, appreciate Nobody that. was doing MMA. No, no. And no. like if you like if you introduce that now, yep. Like that's something you'd be tested on. You'd be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like yeah, well, uh, yeah. You'd get heat yeah. and not with the talent with with the promoters. Like when I first went to WWF at the time in mm -hmm. early two thousand, I was doing. You know, I started out for a couple of matches doing my same style I did in ECW: suplexes, submissions, joint locks, and it rapidly I had to chill out. Why? <laughs> Uh, because it wasn't uh, what I was told in a nice way was you, you're not going to have anybody that wants to work with you. I, I go, why? I'm not dangerous. Well, it looks like you're hurting people. Well, that's my job. I'm supposed to look like I'm hurting so people. So you mean like the guy? No, hold on. They were like, well, well you're, you're not even six foot. I'm like, okay, so what? Mike Tyson's not six foot and he's knocking motherfuckers out left and right. Uh -huh. <laughs> At the same time, this is, I mean, like, what does that matter? <laughs> So, so I see. So guys don't want to be the WWE guys at that time. Maybe don't want to be in the ring with a guy who's not six feet tall, who's looking like he's kicking their ass. Correct. And it wasn't the talent that was saying that. I felt the office in WWF at the time felt like, um, you know what? I don't think it's a good. This is going to create a bad vibe amongst our locker room. Now WWE, to their credit, has changed immensely with that sure. mindset. We, we you know, something like Suplex City. I, I'm la I laugh when I hear it <laughs> and the, the brilliant marketing behind it. And I love Brock and I love Paul and. And it, it, Brock's a friend of mine. I mean, uh, but and it's great. I'm happy for him. And all the different uh, two or five live guys or the cruiserweight stuff or the UK guy, all these different suplexing we see. And I laugh. I've tweeted sometimes. If I did that throw, I would have been fired. And and I do it as a joke. But during my time, I mean, like you had to really be careful. I mean, you know, you had to really be careful of the way you worked. I think when the radicals came in right after me, like a week later. Uh, some of those guys had a similar style of me that we, so I think that kind of loosened up a little bit, but they, they were coming from WCW. So I had a better perception for them where I was from little old ECW, Did but they yet not... they ignored the pop, meaning the company that I got when I debuted at the yeah. garden. So it was kind of a weird thing. Like I, that pop wasn't made by the company and I felt like the company wanted to rebrand who this Taz guy is. I see. So they wanted that, that, that vibe that Taz brings, but they wanted it to be their vibe. Correct. And and that's kind of difficult because then you have to change the thing and then oh, the yeah. people that are cheering, it doesn't work. That's why when you asked me when was the best time as for me as a wrestler, I didn't say WWE. <laughs> right, right. I said he's a W. <laughs> so, like, so, yeah, because you would think if they had enough faith in you that they gave you Kurt Angle's first loss and they let you come in as Taz and it was the whole, like, you looked like ECW Taz. They changed your music and that was pretty much it. Yep. Did, I don't understand, does somebody say, like, oh, there's this Taz guy and we're going to do this, and maybe, like, Vince doesn't know what Taz is, and then he sees it and changes it? I don't know if Vince knows, because him and I negotiated my contract. Yeah. So, so at what... I mean, Vince knew, I should say, yeah. Sure, sure. But at what point does, like, uh, who says then, who is it a surprise to uh, on what you do? Like, isn't that uh, it's something a good, It's a good question. I think that some of... Um, 
without naming names because I don't want I don't do that. I don't. I'm and not if, if for people it. are disappointed in that, sorry, but that's not my style. But a couple of I think agents at that time, they're no longer with the company, were very old school, and I think some of them were a little. They had a lot of influence, and I think they were turned off. And I think when I wrestled in that actual match while I was wrestling mm-hmm. against Kurt in the garden. I don't know what happened backstage, but I got a funny feeling. A couple of people ran up to Vince while he watched it in the gorilla position. Huh. And said, dude, this guy is like, you know, he's going to hurt somebody. And there was one spot, and I joke about it still, and I joked about when Kurt Angle was on my show recently, we joked about it. A German suplex. I mean, if you go back and watch the match, I went to give him a German release suplex, and our timing was off a little bit. So what I did was I put Kurt back down and then re-threw him to protect him and mm-hmm. clear him. That little hiccup on that throw, I really think was a big problem. Uh, I think that one spot, I think, turned off some folks backstage and like, uh-oh, this guy's reckless. And actually, if you look at the spot closely, yeah, it's not me being reckless. It's me seeing our timing was off because we never wrestled each other. And fixing it. And fixing it huh. on the fly and no one even noticing. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in the audience noticing. No one in the audience. No one's like, you effed up. Nobody, nobody did that. You yeah. know what I mean? So I also think the pop, and I've said this many times on my show, Sam, when I came out and and anybody who was there, thank you. And that massive pop that I got, I, I knew as I was walking down the aisle with the towel on my head, I think I'm doomed here. Because you didn't want, like, I want to be, I want people to know who I am. I don't want this many people to know Correct. who I am. Because I, I knew it would be a little problem. <laughs> I see. Now, in this day and age, I think it'd be different. But back then, it was a different, a very, very, very competitive locker room in WWF at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, who was this guy from little old Bush League ECW in a bingo hall drinking right. Heyman's Kool-Aid? Who the hell is he to come in here at Madison Square Garden and get this pop that's insane? Because I guess there still was that thing where even though ECW was not on the the scale of WWE right. there was still that thing where in the wrestling world it was looked at as ECW was what was cool right. so there probably still was some competition of like why does this ECW guy think he can hang with us right. whereas now i don't think that that right. exists i don't well, think that there is i, I, I an think you're right i think anymore. you're completely right i totally agree with you uh, but i do think the pop didn't help me yeah don't get me wrong it was the greatest professional feeling i've ever had that yeah. reaction in the garden. I, I was. I remember hoping as I was getting ready to walk through the curtain that they would know who I was. That mm-hmm. was my biggest fear, that they wouldn't know me. You know, because I, I'm used to working in Queens at the Elks Lodge in New York, or or in Philly at the, at, you know, at, at the ECW Arena, Bingo Hall. Yeah. So I was just worried. Oh God, man! I hope, hope they even know who I am. Just a little pop would be nice. And then when the place exploded, when they sort of boom, 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 I'm like, oh boy. I don't think <laughs> I the office. I don't want that much. <laughs> I yeah. Didn't want that much. You got to stand too, though, dude. Like Vince and stuff. You know, they had seen me work already in their ring uh-huh. because when we did the invasion gimmick, it was on Raw at the Manhattan Center. The, right. Of course, I remember that. I wrestled Mikey Whipwreck, and Paul Heyman was on commentary with. Jerry Lawler and Vince. When Sabu came off the R. He fell off the R, as we <laughs> said. That's the big joke, Sabu. We, we still tease each other, but I would tease him about it. And he's like, ah, oh, I'm not you. Yeah, yeah. That, it's like you fell off the R, bro. Yeah, he did. He fell on Team Taz off the R. Yeah. I, I got it. it. was funny and horrible at the same time. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, but, but it's funny to laugh at now. I mean, I still tease him. But, um, you know, so Vince knew my work. He saw me. He saw I was doing some unique suplexes in that match. Yeah. And he you could hear his reaction on comedy. He's like, whoa, what is that? They were trying to pitch to like the nation of domination backstage yeah. doing a cut-in, not about me. And they were just and once they did that and I saw it back, I knew that they weren't 
they didn't care about me or ECW that much because they were doing cutaways for their stories. Was there a part of that when you guys did that uh, Manhattan Center Raw, which to me, like, I mean, I remember watching that and it was like, it was just cool. And I think Very that's what cool. the intention Very was, cool. right? There yeah. wasn't anything bigger than no, let's just do a cool thing. They were trying to help us and yeah. we were trying to help them. I think Paul and Vince had a little agreement. I think. Yeah, but was there was. any part of, of you or any of the other guys that were wrestling on that show of like, oh, but we get to wrestle a match in front of Vince McMahon. This is, uh, or were you guys so ECW Kool Aided up I, that it wasn't even a consideration? I was Kool Aided up. Mm-hmm. I think I think several of the guys were. Um, I it, it could have been. No one ever said that. We kind of had our own locker room. We stayed to ourselves. They wanted us to stay to ourselves. They wanted to keep us like renegades because we were, and that's kind of was the feel. Um, I know this. We were kind of pissed about a lot of different things after that night, you know, because even though it was an awesome platform, but we just didn't like some of the things, like the commentary and some of the stuff they, that Lawler was saying. They had Lawler saying, and just we knew he would like be anti ECW, but it was like really too far, like really, like and. So did you get legit pissed at Lawler? Um, I, I didn't. I didn't get like legit pissed like I wanted to fight him. I was pissed, right? But but it, you just used it in the again. Yeah. I to back to the top of this <laughs> conversation. I said I was a little immature back then, uh-huh. so I was. I mean, I was I was young, aggressive, and angry. And and Raven used to say to me all the time, "Dude, what? Are you, why are you so angry? You got everything. You got a beautiful family, a home. You make a lot of money. You're on top. You're in this cool company, ECW." And you're mad. And I said, Scotty, I don't know why. <laughs> and we'd laugh. He's like, you're crazy. And yeah, I don't know why I'm angry. I, I think because Taz is supposed to be angry. Right. You know, like, so I kind of was living the gimmick a lot too, which I think helped it. And I think, to be frank, that's the problem with some of the younger guys today. I'm a big fan of the young generation. I am, the current generation. Mm-hmm. But I do think that some of them might be playing wrestle a little bit. And you can't. You can't play wrestle. You, you kind of have to live the gimmick a little bit because that that gives, it really, it resonates to, to the audience. You have to be like, what's his name in there? Will be blood. Oh. Who just walks Daniel Day Lewis? Oh yeah, 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 just method. You have <laughs> no, to walk you around. Got, you got to feel it, man. Yeah. You, I real. That's how I was. I mean, I mean look, you walk in here and you're wearing orange headphones. You know, I think you're still kind of living the gimmick. Yeah, that's which is point actually. Yeah. yeah, you're still Taz. I am, and that's it. I mean, that's who I am. Like on my show, I mean, it's it's orange and blacked out and all that stuff, and you know, the the set is and all that, and that's all my merchandise is. I mean, by design, that's what people. That's branding. So what was uh why the change from the uh, singlet to the to the jumpsuit? It wasn't a jumpsuit. Oh, that's the first thing. What was um, it? It looked like a jumpsuit. <laughs> it was not a jumpsuit. No, Sam. No, no, no. no. Mechanics outfit? No, it wasn't that either. I did not pump gas. I apologize I for that. Uh, no, a lot of people said that. I'm busting your balls. <laughs> it wasn't, though. It actually what it was, to be honest. Okay, the shirt, the top was uh, Dickies. You know Dickies, right? The, yeah. the shirt. I tweeted right? you. I have the shirt. I that's found right. it. That's right. You I did. Found I found it, it in my, mom's, said, it. In yeah, my yeah, mom's house. Yeah. And so that's a Dickies shirt, yeah. and I would wear that. And the pants uh, were, and I wore my singlet, singlet underneath it just to you know, keep my body tight when I'm doing suplex. I need to keep something on me to... Like you know, a Spanx? Uh, kind of like Spanx. <laughs> no, it wasn't like or Spanx. Like just, a manly athletic Just a manly Spanx, Spanx. Yeah. yes. No, no. Uh, and the pants were actually just mesh. They were custom-made mesh, uh, like loose sweatpants. Mm-hmm. Like mesh, like a football jersey. And I wore wrestling boots. And the reason why that change happened... A lot of people thought that was WWE. Oh, my God. They're, they're killing Taz. They're, they're making them wear that and not wear a singlet. If I had Twitter back then or Twitter was even a thing, I would have tweeted out, listen, stop it. It's not the WWE's fault. It was my idea. Mm-hmm. I went to Vince and one of the writers, I'm like, dude, I want to, I want to, I, I tore my bicep. Okay. I was out for a little while. The company took care of me. 
paid me, did the right thing, sent me to the right doctors. Vince reassured me, and he kept his word. I got to say, I can't say anything bad about him like other people do. Mm-hmm. When it came to injuries, I've been injured several times there, and they've always taken care of me, always, uh, always. And and um, and I told my bicep, and I had I need some downtime. And then I said to Vince when I was coming back, uh, look, I want to change my look. He goes, well, to what? And I told him. And he's like, it sounds cool. Let's let's give it a look maybe like on a house show or something. See how it looks. We'll have a camcorder there or whatever, and we'll tape some of the matches anyway. And he, he said, that's cool if you want to wear it, but you got such good legs. You're hiding your legs. I go, I know. I just, I, just, I just want to have a complete changeover. I want to keep the orange and black, but a different look. And that's how it happened. It wasn't them. I, right. I have nothing to hide. I mean, I, it was me. I just, just wanted, wanted to change. Just to change. I, look, they didn't want that same Taz, mm-hmm. that human suplex machine, because I wasn't called that anymore. Right. They didn't want that guy anymore. And so did you want to... And, and you probably, when you realized what was going on, you probably wanted to change some things, too. Yeah. Because yeah, you, you wanted to let go of the ECW correct. stuff. That's right, because I didn't want them to tarnish my in-ring legacy any more than they were doing. Right. So I'm going to... WWE, you mean. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to kill all that that we had there, and I'm going to I'm gonna conform and change and be creative, and I'm proud of that. So, like, there are some things, like, when I signed with WWE, that, and I talked about this recently on my show, that were my intellectual property. You know, mm-hmm. things like Human Suplex Machine, FTW, One Man Crime Spree. All of those monikers were never used for me in WWE mm-hmm. because it was my intellectual property. Right, so they're not going to add they value to that. Yeah. In, right, and yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. And, and that's uh, my agent. He's so good. Uh, <laughs> so he's so talented. So uh, genius, and you know who he is. So uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so that didn't work. Uh, so they went with two Zs instead of one Z. One Z was mine. T-A-Z was my IP. Right. You know? but, but Yeah, not two Zs. Say, no problem. You can have it. We're going to make you two Zs. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. It's so, perfect. Yeah. So how do you make the... Uh, well, here's what... Did you... Was your... Because I watched an interview, a, a clip of you on YouTube yesterday, and it was it was when you were talking about uh, going to the garden and calling Paul Heyman oh, and, and doing yeah. that thing. So why was it hostile when you left ECW? Like what... Why did your relationship with Paul Heyman... Why was it not great? Ooh. <laughs> well, uh, Paul was under the impression that we came to terms and I was staying in the company and he's not wrong. Okay. He's not wrong. We, we verbally agreed. He, he, we did, you know, uh, it was a lot of years ago. So I'm trying to remember it all. And Paul and I are still good friends and it's water on the bridge. We've worked it out. It's a lifetime ago. It really was. Yeah. So I'll try to remember some of it. So if, when I'm saying it doesn't match exactly what I said on that YouTube thing, then I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm not lying. I'm just trying to remember exactly what happened. All, the long and short of it is Paul thought that we uh, had an agreement, and then I kind of was reneging on the deal, the verbal. But I really felt like, because knowing some stuff that was going on, I felt like at that time he was not going to be able to do make well, to do right on that financial end of the agreement for my my, my money. Mm-hmm. Um, his heart was in the right place. He felt he would be, but and in hindsight, twenty twenty, I was right because right. it would it would I it would have been, and I just had we just had a baby, and my wife and I, and it was like it was just I I couldn't play games, and I had this opportunity. Did that, you ever did you ever miss checks from him in the past, or you just saw that's where it was going? Uh, I had missed. Um, I got to say, I, Paul owes me zero, uh, okay. no money. He's never owed me money. Mm-hmm. Um, never. So, and there's several guys like me he never owed money to. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple times where I'd have my check and he would say, he'd call me and say, hey, uh, wait until Friday and put your check in. Oh, come on, Paul. Bye, bye, bye. I'd bitch and moan. No, no, just wait, please stop. Yeah, okay. That would happen. 
But um, you'd wait until Friday and then it would be cool. It would be cool. Okay. One time it wasn't cool and he fixed it right away. Okay. I mean, right away. And But dude, I, there were so many other guys that had much bigger issues with that. I don't, I don't, I can't really speak on it because it didn't happen to me. Right, right. You, know you just saw uh, the he way did the right thing going. Me. He did. And my, listen, man, when I got hurt early, dude, early in ECW, like before we really hit, like when I broke my neck in 95. Right. You know, he, he, there wasn't a lot of money in that company, dude, and I was terrified. I just came back from my honeymoon, and he said, listen to me, you, you take as long as it takes, I'm going to keep paying you. I go, Paul, you can't afford it because I'm going to keep paying you, and he wow. did, and he did, and wow. he did, he did. And, and that was, that was, that's over a year before pay-per-view. That's, oh, that's when ECW yeah. was nothing. That's right. Uh, this time, like springtime of 1995, that's yeah. when that happened. Yeah, and he paid me. Wow. Um, and I and I was making pretty good money, and it wasn't a contract; it was a handshake. You know, and he kept good on it, and the fucking guy paid me. That's amazing. You know, so I, I stayed loyal to him for a long time after that. You know. So, uh, so how do you end up in a commentary position? I remember. I think when I first started seeing you was when uh, they were doing the Sunday Night Heat show out of the restaurant. It happened a little bit before that. What uh -huh. happened was uh. I was in an angle with Jerry Lawler. Right. Um, Didn't you get a candy jar smashed over your head? Or, or? That was a little bit. This this was before that. Okay. What happened was I went, this was in the garden, in the garden on our live Raw, and I had, they had me cut a promo on JR because I had wrestled on a pay-per-view. I, I don't know why I keep thinking it was fully loaded in Dallas. I think that's where it was. I'm probably wrong. Bad with towns. And I think I wrestled Al Snow. I think that's who it was. I won the match, but I cheated. I was a heel, of course. Why wouldn't you cheat to win? That's what you're supposed to do. And JR, good old JR, my man, while I was going through the curtain, he said, oh, that Taz, whatever he said, he's a cheating bastard. He didn't say that. But whatever he said, like he, he buried me, which he should. I was right, a heel. you know. Guy. So I had the idea of, God, let me play off of this. Mm -hmm. And I went to the writers, and then we went to Vince together, JR, and said, look, I want to I go at JR over this. I want to be pissed. And Vince's like, I like it. It's cool. Let's do it. You can pull this off. No problem. And and they didn't want to write my promo. They wanted me just to wing it, which I was begging them always to let me just wing promos. That's amazing. They did let me wing it, and it worked. And that's the promo where I begged, was begging Jerry, hit me, hit me, hit me. And then Jerry Lawler got up. I was right next to JR. JR wanted to hit me because I made a very disrespectful comment uh -huh. on a microphone in, in the garden on Raw. And I, and I said what I said to JR, which it, I cringe saying, thinking of the line. What was it? I, I, you know, and Jr. and I are good friends, so he knows this. it was just character. Character. Um, I said I'd love to smack you across your face, but God already beat me to it. That's tough. It was tough, and the whole place in my hometown was like, "You mother!" But I love, I love when a bad, I love when yeah. a bad guy acts like a bad guy that's says right. something that's vile. I wasn't trying to be cool, right? And that's when that's 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 how bad guys need to be. Yeah, you don't have to care about being cool right you know what i mean ivan koloff who just recently passed away a legend this was a guy who was a heel the bulk of his career and he went out there he wasn't trying to be cool he was a bad motherfucker mm -hmm. all the time we're cool in the language right yeah sure yeah he, he was just bad all the time he yeah. wasn't trying to be cool he was an ass kicker bad guy cheating bad guy nasty all this dirty russian all this stuff well look at I, I my thing was i had to be a heel I'm in my hometown. I got to turn him. And and I said that line to JR, and he got pissed, and the whole place was like, oh, man, hit him, JR. I'm like, you want to hit me, right, JR? You want to hit me? And I got in his face, hit me, hit me, at the announce desk. And that and they shot it so perfectly. Hit me. And once I crescendoed up, and we didn't even really plan it. Mm -hmm. Like, we knew what we were going to do, but King winged it. I winged it. JR winged it. And the production truck winged it. And all of a sudden, King just 
drills me around JR, punches me. I take a bump, and the place goes berserk. Right. And then I go a big pull apart. I go after King. He goes after me. They we they we can't get at each other. There's an angle. So yeah. then we got into this angle, me and Lawler, and that's what led to me going into commentary. Because I jumped and beat him up, and then I sat in with Michael Cole. Were you okay doing an angle with Jerry Lawler coming from a guy who's, like, super competitive? Like, in ECW, I want to be the top guy. And now, like, an angle with Jerry Lawler, great angle, mm. but it's not going to it's not gonna be a world title match. It's not going to be, you yes, know what I'm saying? Yes, my friend, but there's one thing you're missing. Tell me. I'm in an angle with a guy who's a baby face. Yes. And has the power of a mic for two hours as a commentator. So it becomes this all-encompassing... Yes, sir. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so gotcha. it helps me because he's going to talk about his angle when due time. Right. So it helps me because I'm with a guy who's got a full mic. Right. He's got a platform. Right. That so makes sense. It helps. Yes. You know. So that that's that's why I was cool with it. Uh huh. And I didn't know it was going to morph to what it morphed into. So when I, I jumped uh, Lawler, I keep thinking it was Louisville. We're in Louisville doing a SmackDown. I think I jumped him early in the show. And then I sat in, they wanted me to sit in for one match, one segment with Michael Cole. Mm -hmm. I was terrified, right? So I said to Cole, I said, listen, man, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, oh, just I'll get you through it, man. Don't worry about it. And we worked on some things. He goes, just, just bury Lawler. That's your job. Be a heel. Bury the guys in the ring, whatever. And I did that. And then, you know, after I got done, you know, they, they told me before time, they said, you'll be told in your headset when to leave after the match. And the match ended. I did my thing. I was, thank God it was over. And I get up to leave, and then, like, I think Cole said to me, you know, stay, wait till they tell you. And then next thing I know, they're playing music for the next match to start. <laughs> and I think it was Kevin Dunn or somebody said, just stay there, just stay there. Call the next one, we're having a problem or something. Just, just stay out there. We're waiting for King. King was supposed to come back behind me and jump me and take back the seat. Yeah. Dude, they kept me out there for a couple of segments. I didn't realize this at the time. They were, like, <laughs> auditioning me. So I didn't know that. And I was, like, uh, I was nervous. And then when I came through the curtain, Vince was like, hey, man, you did a really good job, you know. And I go, thanks. I go, I hate it. He goes, you hate it? He goes, that's your future. I go, no, I don't want to do this. And I laughed. He goes, all right, we'll see. And and then uh, it had to be, like, two weeks later, I get a call, like, on, I just came back from a house show. Uh, I was getting ready to go on a house show loop. Uh -huh. And it was, like, a Thursday. And I get a call from Kevin Dunn. And it's like, hey, uh, what are you doing this weekend? I go, oh, I'm working, uh, you know, I'm working a house show loop in uh, Fresno in California, you know, wherever it was. And he goes, uh, you want to go to the UK? I go, excuse me? And he goes, uh, yeah, no, uh, Lawler can't make the trip. It was like, they were doing like different, two different tours. Yeah, sure. And going to the UK and they're doing, we're doing the pay-per-view and um, Lawler can't make it and we need someone to sit with JR to do color for, I go, that's three hours or whatever it was. He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, I, Kevin, I can't, I can't, I can't. Don't worry about JR. We'll prep with you. He'll get you through it. Ba ba ba. And I was like, oh my God. Taz is a great opportunity, but I don't want to do this, Kevin. No, no, it's a great opportunity. Just just trust me. Okay. <laughs> I got no choice. <laughs> so they take me off the house chalup. They send me out there. I, I was terrified, right? Yeah. I had to sit out there that long with a legend like JR. And JR, God, man, bless his heart. He was awesome. He sat me before the show for like an hour, dude. Just went over everything with me. and Especially since JR and Jerry Lawler are like Monsoon and Heenan. Yeah. Like it's, that's what yeah, it's, man. Yeah. So I was like, damn, you know? And JR really walked me through that whole show. I'll never forget it. The show ended. It was a really good show. I don't remember the name of the pay-per-view. It was, it was in like, it was in either... Um, it wasn't in London. It was Manchester, maybe. And it was a really good pay-per-view. And I remember um, walking after the show and uh, walking back to the locker room. I was by myself, and I turned the corner, down, coming down the hallway. It was, coincidentally enough, <laughs> Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn. <laughs> uh, and just me walking at them. 
And they both looked at me and they stopped me. They go, hey, you were outstanding tonight. You did a great job. That was not easy. I go, no. And I put all the shine on JR. I go, no, JR. No, we know how great JR is, of course. But I go, no, he got me through that. And they were like, no, no, no. You you know, we need to talk. You're doing great. I go, oh, okay. I I really don't want to do this, guys. No, but yeah, we we think we need you there, though. We think it's good for you. I'm like, okay. Then what are you asking me for? (laughs) (laughs) I never wanted to do it. I didn't want to be a commentator. But then once I started doing it, it was very hard. And and then I got I'm very competitive, like I said. So yeah. I saw how hard and it, it became was. this new thing. Yeah, yeah. My like, wife was like, "Dude, you need to keep doing this because you're gonna have a, f- a future." And that's why you. And then you ventured into radio after that. After that, because of course. you're like, I can take this skill set and broadcasting and make Absolutely. it something that's not just wrestling. Absolutely, that was the it was an easy natural segue for me. It yeah. Really was to be honest with you to go into radio uh, was and I always had a passion for radio. I've been trying to get in radio for over ten years. Oh, I know. You know, so I, I told the story on your show here with you and Jimmy. You know, I, I mean, oh, I mean, however long Sirius is here, but when Stern came, you know, I was saying that I tried to get on. Me and Michael Cole were trying to get a show here. We were yeah. doing radio. You know, yeah. it was a long time ago. Plugged away at different shows with CBS. I mean, it was a lot, a long time. I'm surprised uh, TNA was not your happiest as a as but, a professional. Well, honestly, dude, man, like there were there was a early goings in, in TNA. I had a lot of fun, man. I, mm-hmm. One of the best things was meeting a lot of people at TNA. Like Mike Tanay, who become one of my best friends. I love Mike. I love working with Mike. I miss Mike. I miss working with Mike. I mean, truly, just a good friend, you know. I had I had a lot of fun there working. I I had there was a lot of times for a lot of years. I was there like six, seven years, whatever yeah. it was. And I got to be honest, only like the last year and a half, it got like, you know, the, the infrastructure sucked, and business money, money, cash flow. They had money, but they mm-hmm. had no cash flow, so that was a little bit annoying. And um. That's why I had to get out of there. Yeah. But I got to say, I can't sit here and say my TNA run sucked. I had I had a lot yeah, of fun working there. I did. Yeah, and it seemed like you did. I mean, I did for I a guy did. like you too. I mean, just to just to be able to go out and do a show like that where there's kind of freedom, you can go, you can have fun, oh, you can commentate, it's you can, nice. Yeah. So I wasn't micromanaged. Just go and be Taz yeah. and, and do the show. And sometimes I it could be better than I was, and I had to police myself at times. Where with WWE, it was at that time you, the announcers were very micromanaged. Where and then I segue into, you know, going to a place where you have creative freedom to just right. be smart, stay in a story. And, and you, you know, know, and policing yourself is a skill set that's super valuable. Absolutely. Like, that's something you that absolutely you have to learn how to do. Absolutely. Because at first I was like, oh, this is the Wild Wild West. This is great. And then I had to back myself up a little bit. Right. You know? Right. I was, it was, I was new to me because it was like, wow, I, I just said something that no one said, dude, don't say that. Wrong thing to say, you know, let's go this way. You know, I was like, I didn't have that there, you know? So it was, I had a lot of fun at TNA. It was the bulk, the bulk of my time, I did. Well, I want everybody to go to TazShow.com. Taz does a great uh, show. It's, 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 it's streaming media yes, is what it please. is. It's, so someone very intelligent told me that's what it's called. It's yeah. streaming media. <laughs> uh, and it's on every day, and it's, uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot so, of work. Uh, you know better than me. You know yeah. as well as me, I should say. Yeah, it's yeah. a ton of work. <laughs> so uh, you can watch and listen to Taz's show every day at tazshow.com, at official Taz on Twitter. And you can come back here on on this show anytime, man. Thank you, brother. Anytime. This was fun. I'm glad you did it. I appreciate it. And, and you know, you've been on my show, and you're going to be on my show again. And yeah, I'd love to. I would love to keep doing things together for sure. I mean, definitely, um, you know. We probably have a lot of the same fans that listen to your I podcast, so. your wrestling podcast, or listen to you and Jimmy on mm-hmm. your regular daily show. 
as a and in conjunction with people who listen to my show. So definitely, uh, and maybe there's some different fans. Maybe there's some fans crossover. Bring them cross, over crossover as we call it. Crossover. Venn diagram. Yes, crossover Jones, as I would say. <laughs> That's it. Big into the Jones. You know? <laughs> That's the deal, bro. I appreciate it, man. All right, Taz. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Here is Sam Roberts. So once again, big thanks to Taz for being on the podcast again. There's so much more that I could talk to him about, and I'm sure I will. Um, I will have that interview on YouTube eventually as well. If you go to youtube.com slash notsam, this week I finally was able to put up the interview I did with Mick and Noel Foley. That's the interview that aired on Holy Foley. Uh, but they only aired a couple clips of it. So if you want to see the entire interview, you can go to youtube.com slash notsam. I ran that interview on this here podcast as well. But if you want to watch it, you can go over to the YouTube page. And I'm, I'm trying I've, – I've, you know, with the transition of me going to the morning show, and I, there's just a ton of stuff going on right now. But I'm trying to keep that YouTube page updated as often as possible. And I have just – I have an immense back catalog of video that I'm constantly putting up there. So make sure you're subscribed uh, not only to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud – not SoundCloud. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those. And that you leave a review, please, on iTunes. Um, but make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. While we're talking about stuff I have going on, I do have a new T-shirt that's in development that hopefully – Maybe by next week I'll get to talk to you guys about. But if you haven't seen the t-shirt store, then check it out. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can get a Not Sam shirt. You can get a Sam Roberts wrestling podcast shirt. You can get a What's the Hap shirt. Not Sam mode. The new Sam Roberts 8-bit character t-shirt. They're all at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Every bit of it goes to help support the podcast. And if I see you at a show wearing those shirts I'm going to give you a hug I'm going to give you a high five I'm going to give you a fist bump I might just say thank you but I will acknowledge it because it makes me excited every single time and Wrestlemania is soon Wrestlemania is in what? a month? order a Sam Roberts t-shirt now so that you'll have it ready to go for Wrestlemania you're going to look like a million bucks and everybody I'm telling you people are going to pass you and be like oh you too? oh you're a Sam Roberts guy too? okay okay Check it out, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. So much, so much to talk about in State of Wrestling this week. Uh, I mean, you had really great shows from Raw and SmackDown, but TNA being turned upside down, I don't know where to begin, but I know when to begin, and that's right now. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. You know, you talk about wanting wrestling companies to succeed and wanting the wrestling world to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and when Anthem took over TNA you had to think to yourself it has to be a good thing you know all of us fans had you know Monday morning quarterback complained about Dixie Carter and the way she ran TNA for so long you had people you know Taz today on the show didn't have a ton of complaints, but he had complaints when he left TNA. You've heard, uh, uh, I, I think Samoa Joe on this podcast has not said great things about TNA. I know. If you go back to last year when I interviewed AJ Styles at WrestleMania, listen to what he said about TNA. He said he was sad to leave New Japan, didn't shed a tear leaving TNA. You have all these guys. Sting, who was in TNA for like 10 years, goes to WWE and is perfectly happy not acknowledging a minute. 
He goes into the Hall of Fame and is perfectly happy to not acknowledge a minute of his TNA career. But the Dudley boys are happy being the Dudley boys. Bully Ray likes the Bully Ray character. Even Mick Foley left TNA. Ric Flair left TNA. You know, people have not come out of TNA with the greatest taste in their mouth, shall we say. And so you go, okay, there must be something wrong over there. Uh, Now that Anthem is in charge, they're going to fix everything. And then the news drops this week, and you pray, you pray that this news is just a well-done angle. You pray that this is not real, this is just a very well-told storyline. But every part of me thinks that it is not. Every part of me thinks that it is probably real. TNA, as of this recording, has lost the Hardy Boys. And as wild as it is to say in 2017, I don't think anybody, if you said two years ago, you wouldn't have predicted this. Two years ago, if I told you TNA lost the Hardy Boys, you'd probably go, oh, that's a bummer. Jeff Hardy was a big-time world champion for them. But, you know, I'm sure they'll be fine. No. That's not what you're saying now, because in 2017, the Hardy Boys were, without exaggeration, the most important piece to impact wrestling by a mile. The Hardy Boys, Matt Hardy and his broken Matt character created a a, a thing, a character, an essence that was so cool. We talk about ECW having the cool factor in wrestling. Cool is important. Cool is what makes people talk. Cool is what eventually gets people to tell their friends and and gets eyes onto the screen and gets butts into arenas because there's something cool going on and you have to see it. There is uh, cool is priceless. And TNA has not been cool for a long time. Broken Matt Hardy created something that was so cool that you could take it to a Ring of Honor show. Tease that you may see Broken Matt Hardy. Not even just Matt Hardy. Broken Matt Hardy, the TNA character, in the ring with the Young Bucks, who are undeniably the people who possess that cool factor in wrestling more than probably any other tag team right now. Maybe any other two people in the industry as far as cool goes that's arguable but it's arguable Matt Hardy was so cool that he something that was created in TNA not only was acceptable in Ring of Honor but people were excited about it and nobody no Ring of Honor crowd is excited about anything going on in TNA except for the broken Matt Hardy storyline if I'm TNA right now If I'm Impact Wrestling, I know, I have to know that the Hardy storyline is essential. I mean, you know, Matt Hardy in 2017 is Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWE in 1998. In the sense that Stone Cold Steve Austin and that character and everything that was around Stone Cold Steve Austin is what brought them back. 
you could you could reference The Rock, you could reference Mr. McMahon, you can reference all those people, but I don't think any of those people make the impact that they do without Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is what started the whole thing. If you didn't like wrestling, it was okay. You would tune in for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Your friends were talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. You didn't even if you hadn't worn a wrestling T-shirt in years, it was okay. If you wore an Austin 316 t-shirt. Now, if you don't watch wrestling, if you haven't chanted wrestling, if you hadn't done any of that stuff, it's okay because it is internet cool to chant delete at shows. And that's a TNA creation. It's a Matt Hardy creation, but he created it inside TNA. So TNA, whether they can legally claim ownership or not, gets the credibility for it. TNA gets this thing, oh, everybody's talking about this delete thing. Everybody's talking about this broken Matt Hardy thing. I mean, I remember, you know, the Hardy brothers from when I was growing up and watching wrestling. But where can I see this delete stuff? Oh, you got to watch Impact. You got to watch this Impact Wrestling show. No, I know, I know, but they got this broken Matt Hardy thing. It's hilarious. It's amazing. It's intriguing. It's whatever it is. And who else are they saying that about? And once you get eyes on the screen via broken Matt Hardy... That's when it's like, oh, Tyrus, I remember him, Brodus Clay. Oh, I remember him from Fox News. That's when it's like, oh, cool, Damian Sandow's doing a Liberace thing? That's hilarious. That's when when, when all this other stuff. That's when, when oh, I like this Davey Richards guy. I think he's cool. You know, that's when all that stuff starts to unfold. Because you've got that gains the exposure from the eyes brought in through this broken Matt Hardy thing that's become arguably bigger than TNA and I don't even know how arguable that is there may be more people aware of what Matt Hardy is doing right now than are aware of impact wrestling as a thing and that's really telling you know and Jeff Hardy is as important a piece to the puzzle as anything because we know proven given the track record that even if the broken Matt Hardy thing runs its course, you've still got Jeff Hardy and, you know, you've still got the next thing. If I'm TNA, I'm looking at Matt Hardy going, okay, you've figured out how to create a renaissance for yourself. An individual renaissance. That's crazy. We need to keep you at all costs. We need to keep your brother at all costs. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to Bret Hart deal you. We're going to give you a 20-year deal. We want it so. That Broken Matt Hardy is a piece of TNA for as long as Broken Matt Hardy is a viable option for us. As long as Broken Matt Hardy provides us a value, we want to take advantage of that value being provided to us. And after that, we want you here. We want you doing commentary. We want you doing creative backstage. We want the next Broken Matt Hardy to come for the next guy from your brain. What do you say, Matt? Let's put it. Let's, let's, let's press the flesh Let's put ink to paper on this, huh? What do you say, Matt Hardy? Because guess what? The Hardy Boys have created something that's so hot. The WWE will take advantage of it. Whether it's for one quick spot, whether it's for whatever. Even if you don't see broken Matt Hardy show up. Even if it's just so you can have a Hardy Boys dream match. A series of dream matches. You don't think the Hardy Boys can have a run? Look, is it going to be as big as Hogan uh, when he came back? Uh, after WrestleMania 18? Of course not. Nobody ever will be. But you don't think the Hardy Boys could have a run in WWE doing a series of dream matches? You don't think 
because the Hardy Boys can still go. You don't think that if you just had a series of matches, Hardy Boys versus New Day, Hardy Boys versus uh, uh, Enzo and Cass, Hardy Boys versus American Alpha, if you get Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper back together, Hardy Boys versus the Wyatts, like you, you've got this series of dream matches that you can do with the Hardy Boys if you're the WWE. And right now, the Hardy Boys, the, the broken saga has not only created interest in this new character, but it's created an entirely new value on the nostalgia aspect of the Hardy Boys' career. So there, there is a huge value there for WWE, and the fact that TNA would just allow that to happen is mind-boggling to me. This week, it would appear that TNA has lost the Hardy Boys, which is by far the biggest loss I could think of for them as a company and one of the most boneheaded moves I've ever heard. They've lost uh, Mike Bennett and Maria, which I, I think, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a fan of Bennett, huge fan, and I think that he's one of those guys, like if he were in, in if he had gone to NXT instead of TNA, he'd be having matches with Bobby Roode. You know, he'd be there. He'd be he'd be as relevant as anybody on that roster. And that's to say that TNA can look at him as the future of the company. And because all he's done before TNA really is Ring of Honor, they can create him as a homegrown talent, which TNA has had awful, awful trouble with in the past. But apparently he's gone and... In another, just one of the just biggest dunderhead moves I could I've I've heard. Drew Galloway is gone. That's what I've read. That Drew Galloway is also leaving TNA, and it's like these are guys that that all of them, all of them, could immediately have spots in WWE and NXT. All of them. These are are your your A list players. That you're just letting go. I mean, Drew, he created this image of himself. You know, he could have easily because he had his run in WWE, and at first it seemed like there was a lot of potential there, but it did it fizzled out. And when he left, he could have easily just been another young WWE guy that never quite got there and just cashed in on some name brand notoriety at indie shows and had a pro wrestling tease store and did the whole thing. But instead, he completely reinvented himself and and to me is 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 a guy with, with a tremendous value. And I don't know if he'll end up in Ring of Honor and I don't know if he'll end up in WWE or maybe New Japan or something. But any of those any 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 of those spots would be good to have him. I would put him on SmackDown tomorrow. If I could get him, I would put him on SmackDown tomorrow. I would sign the Hardy Boys for that nostalgia run tomorrow. Like I would want them ready to. I mean, maybe, maybe. What if you take the New Day? I know they're hosting WrestleMania, but what if you also give them a match with the Hardy Boys at WrestleMania, and then that's like your big building. Hardy Boys New Day, Hardy Boys New Day, Hardy Boys New Day, Hardy Boys New Day, and then bouncing off of WrestleMania, that's when you got your run with the Hardy Boys and 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 doing all these these dream matches. It's just there's so much potential there, and for TNA and I'm not in 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 meetings. I don't know how this stuff ends up happening. I don't know why or how 
they would lose talent like this. But I would just think that there's no excuse. I would just think that in all those cases, especially the Hardy Boys, but in all three of those cases, you would do whatever you had to do to keep them. And I don't think you can grant everybody creative control, but I think based on the fact that so much of what Matt Hardy has done has been from his brain and Jeff's brain, and there's no doubt that it's the best thing that's been on their TV in years, you can grant that guy that. You know, you can grant that guy that much and say, okay, we normally wouldn't do this. We're not doing this for anybody else. And it's not even one of those scenarios where, like, you know, they say when Diesel left WWF to go to WCW, Diesel said, Vince, I just want you to match the offer that Ted Turner is giving me. And Vince said, I can't do that because if I do that, then I've got to give The Undertaker money and i got to give Sean money and i got to give Brett money and i got to give the – Matt Hardy is in this position where everybody in TNA would kind of have to understand that to me, Matt and Jeff Hardy bring more value to that company than anyone else on the roster. So for a company to let people go that – bring them more value than anyone else is short-sighted and crazy. And I'm interested to see what TNA is going to do next. You know, it's nice that that after their last show, after that big wedding angle, that it had people talking. You know, people were talking in a very positive way about TNA television and about the way the whole wedding angle played out. People really, really enjoyed it. And, and I was happy to be like, okay, Maybe they're on the right track for something, but I mean, come on. What are you guys thinking? You know, I, I just, I, it, it's hard to be optimistic about something about something like that. It's tough. It's easy, I'll tell you. It's a little easier to be optimistic about what's going on in WWE right now. I thought the build to Fastlane on Raw was terrific this week. Um, I've really been enjoying the Kevin Owens Goldberg promos. And it's because Kevin Owens is acting appropriately. He's getting out of that comedy role. And he's being this guy that that maybe isn't so psyched that Bill Goldberg is there. That maybe is like, hey, like Goldberg, I get it. You were a big star. But I am a big, a big star. I am that guy right now. And, and and to me, that's something that I felt. It's one thing when Goldberg beats Brock Lesnar. But when he shows up and starts saying, I can beat anybody and I'm going to be the champion of the world. Well, now you're sitting there and you're telling me that you are better than the rest of the WWE roster. That's what you're telling me. And for a guy that wasn't even a WWE guy, right? For a guy that was a WCW guy who's been out of this thing for whatever it's been, 12 years, to then come back and make this claim that he's better than anybody else is like, I find that insulting for the people that I watch, character-wise. So I love that Kevin Owens is is taking that on, and I, I just think, you know, the the lack of fear that he has for Goldberg, he's just very true to himself, very true to Kevin Owens. And it makes me excited about the match on Sunday. Uh, I, I definitely think that Chris Jericho is going to get involved somehow. 
because I, I think it's just very telling. The he's been conspicuous by his absence. Remember when they used to say that? They'd be like at the at like the Royal Rumble '91. Conspicuous by his absence is Mr. Fuji at ringside because he wasn't there, and there was something conspicuous about the fact that he wasn't there. It's fishy, you know. There's something fishy about the fact that Chris Jericho has not been involved at all in the Kevin Owens stuff. I'm sure you guys saw uh, on WWE's Instagram account that Kevin Owens jumped Chris Jericho again when they were over in Germany doing house shows. And obviously there's going to be a comeuppance there. Obviously they're building towards something at WrestleMania. And I think that that is something that will play out in some way, shape, or form at Fastlane. I see Chris Jericho showing his face in that match before I see Brock Lesnar showing his face in that match. It's tough, though, because uh, the the Roman Reigns-Braun Strowman match is also one that I feel like, you know, will will end in some kind of interference that leads towards WrestleMania, I hope. Because it's tough to imagine. I still believe... Unless it's going to be some kind of triple threat between Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, and The Undertaker, I still believe that it'll be Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker. And I loved, loved John Cena referencing that he wants a match with The Undertaker on SmackDown. Loved the fact that it's just it's this it's this reality based stuff that we just haven't we just don't get all that often. Um, so I thought that was awesome, but. I really wonder because that's like the logical conclusion on both of those matches, right? Like the logical way to look at the Kevin Owens, uh, Bill Goldberg match is that Chris Jericho will somehow get involved. Either Chris Jericho will help Kevin Owens keep the title, thus making it so that he gets a shot at the championship at WrestleMania, or Chris Jericho will cost Kevin Owens the title because he's mad at him. But logic would also tell you that The Undertaker or somebody will get involved in the Braun Strowman-Roman Reigns match because it doesn't make a ton of sense for Roman Reigns to lose going into WrestleMania. Like, it's tough to believe that they would allow Roman Reigns not to have that momentum. But at the same time, you can't imagine that Braun Strowman is going to lose his momentum before WrestleMania. You can't imagine that this whole build, Braun Strowman beating Jobbers, then destroying Sami Zayn, then beating Mark Henry, then beating The Big Show, and demanding that Mick Foley give him what he wants. This whole saga. You can't imagine that it was all to kind of have a blow-off before WrestleMania. At WrestleMania, after WrestleMania, fine. But before WrestleMania, that seems odd. So I don't know how both of those matches are going to be handled because they both seem unless Chris Jericho doesn't get involved in the title match and they just have Goldberg win clean I don't think Kevin Owens is going to win clean because I don't see how we can take Goldberg as a serious threat against Brock Lesnar if he loses to Kevin Owens clean so it'll be interesting it'll be very very interesting but I just think that the the build towards that show and reasons for caring about it have been great you know I think people people are 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 zoomed in on the women's division on Raw, which is rare. You know, I think the Sasha Nia Jax match is is cool, you know, and it does seem, you know, originally I had my theory that it'll be a triple threat match between 
Charlotte, Bailey, and Sasha at WrestleMania, I feel like there is a good chance that Nia Jax will be involved in that too, and there will maybe be a fatal four-way. But that becomes a little weird because then, I, you know, assuming Sasha Banks is going to turn on Bailey, unless you have Nia Jax as a good guy, you've got three bad guys and Bailey in a fatal four-way, which I, I don't exactly, the math on that gets odd. Um, but I still hold true, you know, I, I, I would still like to see Bailey lose via DQ, which was my initial thing. Bailey lose to Charlotte via DQ at the, at Fastlane on Sunday. That way Charlotte maintains her undefeated pay-per-view streak. And then you go into WrestleMania with Bailey as the champion. Because I think that Bailey winning the title back at WrestleMania would be a little cheesy, maybe. But I think that Bailey retaining the title at WrestleMania would be unpredictable. Bailey retaining the title at WrestleMania. Like, somehow I've managed to hold on to this because nobody's held on to that title. You know, what is it? I mean, I, I can't even imagine. What is Charlotte's like four time champion, Sasha's three time champion. Bailey's champion, like this title has only been around for one year. It was only introduced last year at WrestleMania. So it's changed hands a lot. Nobody can hold on to this thing. So I think the story when Bailey holds up the title at WrestleMania is not, oh, look at this. She won it for a second time. It's, I can't believe it. She's the one. She's the one that was able to hold on to it. And I think she should pin Charlotte at the pay-per-view. I think she should pin Charlotte at WrestleMania. And then after WrestleMania, you can go to your Sasha Banks versus Bayley one-on-one matches. But Sasha turns on Bayley. They go into a fatal four-way at WrestleMania. Bayley pins Charlotte to win the fatal four-way, and she has retained this title uh, from the entire time. And then you've still got your Bayley moment at WrestleMania. Uh... I also, you know, speaking of Raw, before we move on, because I was going to say speaking of WrestleMania, because just as good as the build to Fastlane was on Raw in a short term, the ramp up towards WrestleMania that's going on on SmackDown right now is so cool. It's so much fun to watch. But before we get there, um, you know, I'd like to see what is going on with Mick Foley. I'm, I'm, I, I like general manager related storylines but I do feel like there's a fine line to walk you know I I don't think I think for a while when Stephanie was in charge of Raw and all of the superstars were afraid of her it was a little silly you know what I mean it's one thing if it's Vince McMahon because everybody knows Vince McMahon is the big boss he owns the company and nobody can tell him what to do and even then you have to have some people that aren't afraid of him but when, when you have Stephanie and everybody's afraid of her, I, I always had an issue with that. When you've got Mick Foley and it's like he's a doormat as far as a general manager goes, that also is, is ineffective. You know, I like that he hit back against Braun Strowman a little bit on Raw. But at the same time, why did that contract signing even happen? If I'm the general manager of that show, I'm not doing a contract signing just because a guy says hey, I want a contract signing, because it's obvious that he's got other intentions in mind. I don't look at Braun Strowman. I don't listen to Braun Strowman and think to myself, this is a guy who's all about the legalese. 
this is a paperwork guy. You know, I don't think this is a guy who's like, you know what? I know a lot of contract signings have gone wrong here on on WWE Raw, but I think Braun Strowman is just a guy who likes to have his T's crossed and his I's dotted. And he just needs, he wants it in writing. No, I don't think so. I think it was pretty obvious that Braun Strowman, the character, had not the greatest of intentions for Roman Reigns when he asked for that contract signing. And so I would not have given that to him. They do a good job on SmackDown, I think, with the general manager because Daniel Bryan, like, nobody's afraid of him because they're big, tough wrestlers, but he commands a certain respect and he doesn't put up with as much nonsense. Whereas McFoley, it's almost like he wants to be liked and he wants to be a nice guy. I'm talking about the character of general manager McFoley. He wants to be like a nice guy and he wants to be liked and... That's not that. That can only take you so far. So I'm interested to see in what's gonna what's gonna happen with him. Um, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to maybe switch him out at least for a little while. Maybe after WrestleMania, maybe bring in your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, as the general manager of Raw. I think that could be fun. Um, but there's a thing, you know, there's a thing that's happened now, and and it's obviously injury related and people being smarter and everything, but. There was a time when the authority figure was either Jack Tunney, who didn't really get involved unless it was absolutely necessary, or it was Vince McMahon, who was completely hands-on, but he could have a match if he wanted to have a match. Even Eric Bischoff, you could end up having a match with Eric Bischoff. Ric Flair, you could end up having a match with. Vicky Guerrero, you could have a match with in Chocolate Pudding or something. Like, stuff could happen. You've now got general managers where a match... You've got two general managers where a match is impossible. You're never going to see Mick Foley have another wrestling match. You're never going to see Daniel Bryan have another wrestling match. And, you know, I'll cite another interview. We talked about it in TNA, but if you go back and listen to an Edge... I, I put the old Edge interview on the podcast a while back. And if you listen to that interview, Edge talks about how he didn't want to be have a huge role in WWE because he couldn't be touched. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't take a bump. He couldn't have a match. He couldn't do any of it. And so because of that, there'd be no payoff behind this stuff. And that's what I worry about, you know, with like the whole Daniel Bryan and The Miz thing. It's amazing TV. No payoff. All this Mick Foley stuff, it's like I don't know how Mick Foley is going to end up looking good at the end of the day. And as a Mick Foley fan, I want Mick Foley to end up looking good at the end of the day. I just don't see how it's possible because he can't wrestle. Like, he can't take out his barbed wire bat. He can't do any of that stuff anymore. They're right. So it starts to feel like it's just some of that JR kind of bullying stuff where it doesn't really add anything, you know. But... I, I, I remain optimistic, and I will, I'll, I'll see where it goes with young Mick Foley. <laughs> but uh, uh, SmackDown was so cool to watch. The, the Miz, everybody knows what a Miz fan I am, and the Miz-John Cena segment was just awesome. Miz was right on with stuff. John Cena was right on with his retorts. Like, it was really really well done. You could tell that Miz was coming from a real place. You could tell that John Cena was coming from a real place of being tired of hearing all this stuff. But look, and they're smart to bring reality into this thing. John Cena did an interview earlier this week 
where he talked about the fact that, that he regretted some of the stuff that he said about The Rock when he was younger. Remember John Cena used to go out in interviews and say that you know he resented The Rock, I'll paraphrase, but he resented The Rock for leaving the WWE and going to Hollywood. And lo and behold, what does John Cena do? You know, the same thing as The Rock, really. And he says it's because he's kind of learned the way you can add to yourself, you can add to the business, you can make everything better if you can go out and find mainstream success. Uh, but The Miz and other people that are opponents of John Cena are right to call him out on it. Because he was very clear in his promos with The Rock when they were wrestling that he was the real deal and The Rock was Hollywood. So if John Cena is going to go do movies and SNL and stuff like that, that's just something he's going to have to deal with. Um, and I, I, I just the the reality that we're we're addressing now, you know, and we came very close to really addressing political power that the internet thinks that John Cena has, and and I, they just did so much to get hardcore fans on board with this John Cena Miz thing. It was like you thought about WrestleMania twenty seven. And how people were not really excited about the Miz-John Cena match. And the match really only existed to build towards next year's WrestleMania. It was really only a match that was designed to make next year's WrestleMania between John Cena and The Rock a thing. So now looking at these two and realizing like, oh my god, I want to see this match. I really want to see... John Cena versus The Miz. And then to have the ladies involved. And and I was sitting there, I'll tell you the truth. I'm watching John Cena and The Miz go back and forth on SmackDown. And I'm going, you know what? I know that they've been playing towards a Maurice Nikki Bella thing on SmackDown. With the with the makeup and then the interference in the no holes barred match and all that stuff. But as I watch this promo. As I watch this back and forth, I'm finding myself more interested in just simply a John Cena versus The Miz singles match. Then Maurice got involved. And I thought Maurice did awesome. I think Maurice is really good at portraying that 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 character, that unlikable character. Maurice is really, really good at it. And then Nikki Bella. To just bring it home, I'm going to break you, bitch. I was like, what? My wife is sitting there going, I just got chills. She didn't even like wrestling. She got chills. You know, it all of a sudden, it felt real. And there's something cool, and I get why they waited as long as they did, but there's something cool about John Cena and Nikki Bella as a team. Total divas, total Bellas, the whole, like, the, the, the their relationship is so public information. And their relationship was used so publicly in the Natty, Nightheart, Nikki Bella storyline that it's almost like you have to address it. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, Natty constantly bringing up the fact that Nikki Bella and John Cena are in a relationship, you kind of get a payoff on that based on the fact that now at WrestleMania and leading up to WrestleMania, it would appear that you're going to get to see Nikki Bella and John Cena working as a team, which we haven't seen before, but we've been waiting for. That's a payoff. The idea that... Natty brought up their relationship in a storyline and now we get to see it play out in front of our eyes. That's a payoff. You know, when you've got a general manager and a superstar yelling back and forth and there's never going to be a match, you're never going to see anything in the ring, 
that's where a payoff you you run the risk of of lacking a payoff in that scenario, but you just don't run that risk with this John Cena, uh, Miz, Maurice, Nikki Bella thing. Uh, but I find it very very entertaining. And I, I was watching, and and as they're building, like I I realized, like oh man, John Cena has reached this place where they're using him so well because every John Cena match is like, whoa, John Cena's wrestling. I gotta see this. And who knows how often he's going to be wrestling as the years go on. We're going to want to, we want to see it. I want to see James Ellsworth and John Cena in a ring together next week. That's what SmackDown has done to me. I am excited about seeing John Cena and James Ellsworth in a ring together. It's so cool. I'm very excited about that tag team match. I think it's it's going to be cool to watch. I'm really excited to see how Nikki Bella and John Cena act as a team on television like that. And I'm I'm super interested in watching how James Ellsworth and John Cena work together. I think it's going to be great. I also, you know, that as well as the seeds being planted and you saw it uh, on Talking Smack. They're getting creative. The seeds that are being planted for a Shane McMahon AJ Styles match, it's just really getting creative. And just when we think that it's going somewhere, it shifts. I don't think anybody really thought that Randy Orton was out of the WrestleMania main event. But I think that we all thought it was going to be some kind of Luke Harper, Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt triple threat match. So when AJ Styles wins against Luke Harper and it's clean... You almost go, well, how are they going to get out of this? I don't understand. And I thought it was brilliant the way they got out of it. Is it gimmick infringement? Because Randy Orton didn't like what was happening with the Wyatts, so he lit the building on fire? Uh, I would say, quite obviously, yes, it was. Uh, I am the person who invented lighting things on fire because they were unhappy about what was happening with the Wyatts. Randy Orton probably was listening to the podcast and said, that's a good idea. I'll light Bray Wyatt's house on fire. And so he did. Symbolically, is it worse to have a pile of ashes on top of your dead sister than a house on top of your dead sister? I don't know. Apparently for Bray Wyatt, it is. That whole thing was played out really well. And I was kind of nervous about it because, you know, the idea of Randy Orton turning on Bray Wyatt is something we've all kind of been waiting for and could, doesn't have to be cool, right? That could end up being like, yeah... We were waiting for this. Yeah, I kind of saw this coming. But it was perfect. You know, it was really, really well done. And a Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton match is going to be great at WrestleMania. Uh, The only thing is, and I hope that Luke Harper rejoins the family at this point. Eric Rowan is cleared for competition. So Eric Rowan might rejoin. But I I think more than likely it will be Luke Harper just because he's, he's, he's the man. He is the man. But... It'll be interesting to see what happens with Bray Wyatt in the coming weeks because I think it's important that Bray Wyatt not be portrayed as a guy who's just kind of like a high school loser who's playing Ouija board and pretending to be magic because his dead sister was under his house. There's a big difference between somebody like The Undertaker who is truly supernatural and somebody like Papa Shango who's kind of a goof and we can disprove him nobody's ever been able to disprove the undertaker nobody's ever been able to make the undertaker look foolish and when i was watching bray wyatt react to his house getting burned down it was almost like 
I don't know if I want him to be that human. So I'm I want what I want is for Bray Wyatt to come out of this furious. I want Bray Wyatt to come out so mad. I want an evil to be awakened in Bray Wyatt, the likes of which we haven't seen before. Because Randy Orton's going to be Randy Orton, and he's going to be the good guy, and Bray Wyatt's going to be the bad guy. And I, I think Bray has to show a new face of evil. And he's got to do stuff that makes Randy Orton creeped out. You know what I mean? He's got to do stuff that even Randy Orton takes seriously. Because otherwise, you know, what are you doing with the character? Like, I need to believe that Bray Wyatt is so evil, and he is truly evil, that he is maybe unstoppable. I need to believe that Bray Wyatt, that it may be impossible to take that championship away from him. Other because he, Just because he's lost so much. And now he's been outsmarted by Randy Orton. It's like, we need to, to dial it back now. And as we go forward toward WrestleMania, we need to see Bray Wyatt be more evil than he has ever been before. Doing things that are unexplainable and not parlor tricks and and not like he's a hot topic kid. I mean, truly like, oh my God, he's the real deal. Go back to the cartoons. Go back to the human comic books. Make him a super villain, a supernatural super villain. We need to be able to go into WrestleMania and say, I don't know how Randy Orton wins this match. Because right now it's almost a given that Randy Orton walks out with the championship. Right now. And we still have a long time to go. But that's the only reason why I'm not as excited about this match as I could be. Because I don't want Randy Orton to walk out with the championship. I want Bray Wyatt to walk out with the championship. And so I at least need enough to believe that Randy Orton as a character isn't able to take this lightly because right now he is the character is able to take the Bray Wyatt character lightly because all you needed to do was burn the house down not that it was this minor thing I mean the visual on it was amazing so cool but we need I we just need to see Bray Wyatt return strong and evil and scary and like no one no man can stop Bray Wyatt and if we have that, I think we're looking at, I mean, look at what we're looking at for WrestleMania. This amazing Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper build. I mean, this amazing Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton build. This amazing John Cena and Nikki Bella, the Miz and Maurice build. A Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match. A Chris Jericho-Kevin Owens match. I mean, a Roman Reigns-Undertaker match, maybe? I don't know where Braun Strowman fits in at this point. Maybe against Finn Balor? Who knows? Who knows? But I will tell you this. There was an advertisement for the WWE house show coming to the Westchester County Center on my local TV. And Finn Balor on, I think it's March 23rd, it's the week before WrestleMania, Finn Balor is advertised on that house show on television. So there's no doubt in my mind that Finn Balor will be back for WrestleMania. He is being advertised on television for house shows. There's a six-man tag that is going on at that house show. Uh, If I remember correctly, it's Triple H... Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe versus Finn Balor, Chris Jericho, and maybe Roman Reigns? I don't know for sure, for sure, for sure. 
But I do know that Chris Jericho is being used as a good guy on house shows leading towards WrestleMania. And Finn Balor is back as a good guy on house shows before WrestleMania. So there you go, folks. We are leading toward an amazing place for WWE. And if the broken universe is headed there, I think it's only better. Thank you for listening this week, folks. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts and get yourself a t-shirt. Make sure you wear it to Orlando if you're going to WrestleMania. And we will see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.